What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. It's another week of swings and roundabouts, ups and downs, and yins and yangs. It's a good week for international markets who have dealings with China, according to the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock. It's a bad week if you're looking for a job, as high unemployment rates might be here to stay for some time in China. It's time to celebrate if you are a supporter of trans rights with a landmark court ruling, but it's time to commiserate if you are a lover of TikTok and happen to live in India. Here's what has been happening in China this week. It's bad news if you're looking for a job in China. The impact of the coronavirus pandemic on employment in China may last for two years with high-touch service industries, manufacturing, and small and mid-sized companies particularly affected, experts say. Official data show that the job market has come under high pressure in recent months, indicating that the economy is far from fully recovered, even as the number of daily new cases of COVID-19 in the world's most populous country has fallen to a handful. In May, the surveyed urban unemployment rate in 31 large cities rose to 5.9%, the highest since the data series began in June 2013. Hainan is trying to lure tourists with a raft of new policies. The new policies, easing restrictions on duty-free shopping, are expected to attract more tourists and shoppers to the tropical island resort in southern China as part of a strategy to develop the province into a new commercial hub. Visitors to Hainan will be allowed to purchase more duty-free products with fewer limits. The duty-free shopping policies are part of a plan unveiled earlier this month to develop the region into a world-class free trade port. With 60 key measures to boost a wide range of industries on the island, the plan aims to turn the province into a front line of the country's integration into the global economic system. The chief investment strategist for Asia-Pacific at BlackRock Investment Institute, Ben Powell, is optimistic that Asian markets closely tied to China's recovery will outperform their peers over the next year. According to Bloomberg, BlackRock Inc., which oversees $6.47 trillion in global assets and is the world's biggest asset manager, 
expects stocks and bonds in the Chinese mainland and trading partners such as South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan to do better than other global emerging markets over the next 6 to 12 months. In an interview, Powell pointed out that China still has a meaningfully positive interest rate both in real and nominal terms, which is relatively rare globally. Powell said, China, if necessary, has the ability to do more on both monetary and fiscal measures in coming out of the COVID-19 economic slowdown. HSBC is betting big on China while reducing its footprint elsewhere, according to the Nikkei Asian Review. The London-headquartered bank has hired 100 wealth advisors and is setting up a fintech venture in China as part of a plan to increase investment in the mainland, despite plans to slash as much as 35,000 staff globally. The bank, which was heavily criticized by some British and U.S. lawmakers for voicing support of Beijing's national security law for Hong Kong last month, said the new staff would provide mobile wealth and insurance services to customers outside its branches in Guangzhou and Shanghai to start with. The mobile financial planning business will eventually be extended to the rest of China and Asia, according to a statement. Chinese tech unicorn ByteDance, owner of the hugely popular short video app TikTok, is anticipating losses of more than $6 billion after three of its apps were banned in India early this week, sources close to the company's senior management told Saishin. India has officially banned 59 Chinese apps, citing concerns that the companies are engaging in activities detrimental to the sovereignty, integrity, and defense of the country, along with, quote, stealing and surreptitiously transmitting users' data in an unauthorized manner to servers which have locations outside India, unquote. India is a hugely significant market for TikTok, with the largest number of users outside of China, where the app is known as Douyin. The ban follows international tensions between the two countries over a border dispute. The exact shape and extent of any ban has yet to be fully revealed. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo hinted in an interview with conservative Fox News that the U.S. government is taking very seriously the possibility of banning the app in the U.S. France will not impose an outright ban on Huawei's 5G equipment, but will avoid complete dependence on the Chinese company's technology, the head of the French cybersecurity agency ANSSI has said. In an interview with French media Guillaume Poupard said that there would not be a total ban, but, quote, for operators that are not currently using Huawei gear, we are urging them not to, end quote. The ANSSI had stressed that the decision was made to protect French independence and not as, quote, Huawei bashing or anti-Chinese racism. China's transgender community has been celebrating what's been seen as a landmark victory against employment discrimination after a Beijing court ruled in favor of a trans woman who was fired after she had sex reassignment surgery. In a rare ruling on discrimination against transgender people, the court decided that e-commerce platform Beijing Dongdong Information Technology Company Limited was wrong to fire an employee for absence of work after she took two months of leave for the surgery in 2018, according to the court's written judgment. 
We are used to understanding society based on our understanding of biological gender, but there are still those who express their gender identities based on their own life experiences. For this persistent social expression, we often need to re-examine and re-understand, which can take a long time. But in fact, more and more people choose to be more inclusive, and it is necessary for us to gradually change our attitudes, the court wrote. And finally, if 2020 wasn't hard enough, a city in North China's Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region issued a health warning Saturday. A city in North China's Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region issued a health warning Sunday after a livestock herder contracted the bubonic plague. The Health Commission of Bayar Nur announced a Level 3 emergency, the second lowest in a four-tier system. It ordered residents in the city of half a million people to stop hunting, skinning, or transporting rodents and other animals known to carry plague, to report fevers of unknown cause, and to report sightings of dead marmots. Plague infections are rare in China, but occasionally occur in northern and western regions. The country recorded five plague cases last year, one of which was fatal, according to the National Health Commission. Let's turn now to Caixin Global Managing Editor Doug Young for a deeper dive into one story in the news. Doug, what's going on? This week, I wanted to take a, a look at a story that is actually it's catching a lot of headlines, and it's also got a bit of personal meaning for me, too. So it's a fun one for me to talk about. But it's, it's sad in a, in a way. Uh, the company's called Sina. And I think a lot of our listeners who've seen this company's name spelled out probably think it's pronounced Sina, S-I-N-A. But in fact, it's, it is pronounced Sina. And they've just announced that they've gotten a privatization proposal from a group led by the company's manager, a guy named Charles Chow, or uh, Chinese speakers out there. His name is Cao, Cao Guowei. Uh, and basically, it's, it's a fairly standard buyout offer. Uh, they're offering $41 per share, which represents a premium of about 12% to the last company closing price. So, you know, in that, in that regards, it's not that unusual. That's a pretty standard premium. Um, but again, this is one of China's oldest internet well, oldest U.S. listed internet companies and, and really one of its oldest internet companies. And and a lot of people out there may also know these guys because they are the parent of Weibo, uh, which is also listed on the NASDAQ. And Weibo, for those people who haven't heard about it, it's the Chinese equivalent of Twitter. And again, talking to historians about, out there, Twitter or Weibo actually got its start back in the days – when the original Twitter first got locked out of China in 2009. So uh, there's a lot of lot of history wrapped up in this one, a lot of big names. Cena itself is it's big just because it's such a, an old name. It's been around for a long time. And then, of course, the Weibo factor. So uh, if things move along as it looks like they're likely to, um, we could be saying goodbye to Cena, you know, in probably the next six months or so, at least on Wall Street. I reckon a lot of people are wondering what this means for Weibo, which was started by Sina, as you say, but is actually listed separately on NASDAQ. Uh, Sina was the parent, but how do they compare now in market cap? Sina is a bit smaller. Sina is only valued at $2.65 billion, according to this deal. And Weibo is, is about three times that size. It's $9 billion. So that means 
you know, you whenever you privatize a company, you got to raise a lot of money to buy back all the shares from the Wall Street investors, you know, the people in the U.S. So the bigger the company, the more difficult it becomes. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is Sina was always really, I mean, Sina's main asset is its stake in Weibo, uh, its own business is advertising, and that's not really that big anymore. So in a way, it's like Weibo was listed twice because Weibo is listed directly, but it's also listed because Sina is listed and Sina is something like, you know, something like 85% of its revenue comes from its Weibo stake. So it didn't probably didn't make sense to have two listed entities, but at the same time, you are seeing a lot of uh, Chinese listed companies privatized from New York because they think they're undervalued. Uh, and that's actually the case with Sina. If you look at the, the the charts from the last couple of years, Sina was worth three times as much as it is now just back in 2018. Uh, and I think that's when Weibo was really hot. Uh, right now, meh, they're, they're doing okay, but they're not doing so great. And my guess is they may try to relist back in China. Thanks, Doug. We've both been watching these companies for quite some time now. Sina was actually the first Chinese internet company to do a Nasdaq listing, if I recall. Yeah, it's it's really like a almost like the end of a, a chapter in history. I was working at Reuters back in 2000, the first time I heard Sina's name, uh, and I was in Los Angeles at the time. And some of our colleagues uh, at Reuters in Beijing were asking us to help cover the earnings for this. Chinese company that had just listed and it's like, who's this? And, you know, they were losing lots of money at the time. And I remember in the early days, their their business model was was all based on SMS. You know, that was the big thing back then. Uh, they would send you SMSs and you would pay money to subscribe to different SMS services. Uh, but they were always losing a lot of money. And then they finally started earning money like around 2005, 2006. But then they, they never really quite broke out of things. They, they, it was them and there was another company, NetEase, which listed around the same time, and a third company called Sohu. Uh, and of those three original ones, the other two are still listed. And uh, NetEase has definitely become the you know, far and away the most successful of those now. So, you know, in a way, it's, it's a bit of a bittersweet departure, I guess. Um, you know, this is one of the oldest names, but at the same time, it may have been a company that was a little past its sell date. And like I was saying before, they still do have Weibo uh, as their listed entity. So that's that's probably the hottest part of the company anyhow. Okay, Doug, and thanks for filling us in on the sentimental internet story of the week. Uh, looking forward to chatting with you again next week. Okay. Thanks a lot, Kaiser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Wu Fei and Spring and Autumn for the music. Be sure to check out the other shows in the Seneca Network on SupChina. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SupChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at SupChina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.